And when we're talking about feelings, when we're talking about trauma, we're talking about all these things, um, all of that lives in the body. That's real, that's in your actual body. And so for me, I'm kind of in a place where I'm pivoting to like, I want to be like the embodiment person. I want to be the person that talks about bodies. That means we're going to talk about religious trauma. That means we're going to talk about sex. That means we're going to talk about, you know, all this stuff. I think it's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to spoken word as an art form, because it's so embodied. It's so, you use your whole body to like take up space on this stage. It's the only prop you're allowed to have other than the microphone. So you use your hands. It's, it's a very embodied sort of art form. You're listening to the Theopoetics Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Burnett, and my conversation today is with Emily Joy. Emily Joy is a spoken word poet, writer, yoga teacher, and creative justice enthusiast based out of Nashville, Tennessee. In this episode, Emily Joy and I discuss art as a force of healing from religious trauma. We converse about coming home to our bodies, poetics as a primary location for religious reflection, and how her spoken word poetry has created a path for growth and connection in her own spiritual life after leaving fundamentalism. For more information about our sponsors, ARC, visit artsreligionculture.org. Thanks for listening. So you are a poet. Yes. Mm -hmm. You are a theologian. Yeah, well, I would like to think so. (laughs) Have training in philosophy. Yes, Mm mm-hmm. Uh, how, when you think of your own methodology, um, as somebody who's doing work in the world, how do those, those components of, of who you are and, and what your education is based in form you, um, in your process of creativity? That's a great question. Um, so I was thinking about this earlier today cause I was thinking about recording this and, um, I think that, um, probably didactic teaching is my least favorite method of communicating information. Um, not to say that it's not effective. Um, it is, and there's a place for it. Um, and it's important, but it's just for me personally, probably my least favorite way of communicating information, um, for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, but one of which I think, especially when it comes to, um, to poetry and to, to artistry in general is that, um, it sets the stage for a conversation that begins by sharing experiences rather than let me tell you what is true and what is not true, right? It's much, it's much harder to argue with a poem than it is with like a PowerPoint presentation. Um, and so, so that's one of the reasons that, that I chose that medium. Um, and one of the reasons why I like to communicate um, what I find to be true about life through art and through poetry specifically. And like in your own theological and philosophical training, where did you make that shift? Or was that always a part of your perspective? And how did you start to bring your, your theological and philosophical background um, to bear in that sort of poetic communication that you do? Yeah. Um, well, so it's interesting because my, my formal theological training, um, was at Moody Bible Institute, um, which is very, um, conservative, very fundamentalist. And, uh, so, so there's not a whole lot of space for non-didactic expressions of theology in that context. Right. Um, and so I think part of, I mean, I had always been a poet. I had always written, you know, writing little love poems in junior high and all kind of stuff, you know, like, so I'd always been a writer, but, um, but in college, a lot of my writing took on a very uh, theological framework because I was trying to, I was trying to process this thing that I found to be very um, expansive and open um, in a context that was the opposite of those things. And so I think, um, you know, I put out an EP um, in 2012, maybe early 2013 was when I put out my first EP. Um, and it's just five poems. Um, but that whole EP is 
um, basically just me wrestling with like neo-Calvinism and being like, this is dumb. Um, and, and, <laughs> but, and, but this is what I'm being told is the truth and I don't get it. And if God is really like this, then I want nothing to do with God and like all of this kind of stuff. Right. Um, and so, so especially in college, I think that was when it took on that, that artistic, um, component was when I was trying to, to look at all this stuff that, um, didn't square with my experience, um, of the divine or my, uh, intuition about what the divine was like, um, and trying to, to parse out like, okay, what is, what can I hang on to here and what just needs to kind of be tossed out. Mm. And how for you personally, and maybe for your audience as well, has the poetic voice been something that has been sort of a, a gateway to open you up and expand your your theologizing or your experience of the divine and theirs. Um, I'm just curious about that because some of our listeners have, we've, we've talked with different theologians and philosophers yeah. already, but they've been interested in how artists and poets are, are yeah. finding life in that, that modality, I guess. Um, yeah. Can you speak to that for yourself and your audience maybe? Yeah. Well, it's very similar to me. Um, so like in college, I took a preaching class um, and and we had to read some preaching books and stuff. Um, and I don't remember which exact book it was in. It probably wouldn't even be useful if I did remember it. I'm sure the rest of the book was not anything that you would want to read. Um, but this one particular line stuck out to me that has, that has always just kind of stayed with me um, since then. Uh, it said something to the effect of uh, to preach is to die naked in front of people. And to know every time that you do it, that you must do it again. Um, and I have always felt that way about my art. I have always felt that way. Like I basically just am like dying naked in front of people knowing that like next week I'm going to do it again, you know? Um, and it, it does, so it, it takes on this very, um, it, it does feel a little bit like, like some sort of like power like descends on me in that moment, you know? Um, it's very like sacred and holy to me. Um, yeah. And, and so, so I think, um, learning, especially too, I think, especially as a woman, um, coming out of fundamentalism, learning to find, uh, my voice like that has been very powerful. Um, and I think that has, that has changed a lot of the way that I, that I look at and move through the world as well. Yeah. I mean, I come from a background that was fundamentalist as well. And so, Part of my journey has also been that emergence into not only this new school of thought and um, experience, but also trying to hone in on what my perspective is going to actually be like when it's not coerced, you know, mm -hmm. or when it's not um, dictated to. Um, and so I know that some of your work also uh, is around, you know, recovering from religious trauma. Mm -hmm. um, how has the form of the poetic been and maybe a healing space for that. And then also how, how has, you know, how has your work in working through this stuff transformed and healed um, your own journey? Yeah. Um, oh, good questions. Um, so I would say, you know, I've got some new stuff that I have written um, that I am working on um, trying to release this fall. I'm just trying to figure out, I mean, I've got the stuff written. I'm just trying to figure out the best uh, medium to deliver it into folks. Um, and once that stuff comes out, I think I will have maybe come around to the healing space. But I think I think previous to now, it's only been very recently that I've been able to write some of that healing space stuff. If you if you look at like the stuff that's like publicly out there on my CDs and my website and stuff, a lot of that is still really the anger and the grief space. A lot yeah. of that is just like public lament. Yeah. Um and and naming of evil, naming of grief. Um and and I kind of just left it there a little bit, um, kind of. And at the end of that last album, the last the last poem on that album is not particularly. Um, it doesn't particularly tie up everything in like a nice little bow. It's kind of just like left hanging in the air. And that's where I was at the time. And that's where I had been for a very long time. And I've just now gotten to a place where I'm starting to write some some more redemptive things, some stuff that is okay. Well, what now? Um, and. And so that stuff will be coming out, but I think that, um, yeah, it's, it took a really long time 
to get there. And I think that um, all of all of the stages are like super important and necessary, right? From like the initial questioning stages to like, this is messed up and I'm angry and I'm going to name it and be loud and shout about it to like, I'm sharing my story so that hopefully I can help others to like, I here's maybe what I'm rebuilding. All of these stages are incredibly necessary and they're all incredibly important. And I think we get really, I see people get really off track in conversations when they start to like, degrade one stage or like lift another stage up over the others. And I'm like, all this is like deeply important to the process of like unlearning our trauma and, and replacing it with something better, you know? Um, so I, I think I just want to affirm all of that, but, um, and for me personally, I think, um, I'm basically just using my poetry. I'm, I'm just, I'm just unlearning in public essentially is what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm processing my own stuff, using my writing to process my own stuff and then putting it out there, hoping like maybe this will help somebody else process their stuff too. Um, but it is, but for that reason, it is a really deeply personal work for me because I don't write about stuff that I don't, um, experience or feel, you know, like all of it is basically just me (laughs) working my stuff out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that you know, those stages that you mentioned were beautifully named. I, I think that each one is so crucial. And the difficulty that I've experienced is that um, a lot of people who are coming out of that stage of faith um, that might be more fundamentalist or neo-Calvinist mm-hmm. or, you know, that whatever mode that might be, uh, is that oftentimes they start going through that while they're still in their old communities. And so Ugh, it's a very so isolating, it's an isolating experience for the individual. And I, I just, you know, I commend your... Uh, bravery in, in doing it publicly, you know what I mean? But also, like, I think that there's a way to connect with people mm-hmm. when you start to process that grief and, and all of the stages you mentioned uh, in front of people that that actually, you know, has like a sort of heartstring connection and, and, and can actually pull people out of isolation into a conversation and a, and a process that they didn't know was, was available because of their community. Yeah. Well, that's the hope. Like, that's the hope is that by standing up and being, it's almost like I always compare it to like, you know, like, like if you're in class and like the professor asks a question and like nobody says anything and it's like crickets, crickets, crickets. And then like one person like breaks the seal. (laughs) And then after that, like 18 other people feel fine talking. They just didn't want to be the first. Um, I think sometimes that's the place of the artist is just to be the first one raising the hand. And then everybody else feels empowered after that. Yeah. I mean, and that's such important work, you know, I, like, I, like you were saying about preaching is, is a different dimension there maybe, uh, in getting up and truth telling, Yeah. You know? but, but, uh, I think the poetic communication of process and truth and yeah. grief and that's truth telling in its own way. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I would argue, I mean, even philosophically in a more effective way. Yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, tell me a little bit more about your work in the world. What are you up to these days? What, what do you consider your broader vision? How, how are you posturing yourself? Yeah. Um, oh, so that's a great question. Also, um, I've had to make some pivots, um, over time. I think that, um, there's not a whole lot of faith communities in which I feel, um, genuinely at home very much anymore. Um, and so, but a lot of my work is with faith communities, you know, um, a lot of churches want to talk, um, about the stuff that I'm talking about. And, um, so I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out what is the best way for me to like use my gifts in the world. You know, I'm still, I'm, like I said, I'm writing some new, um, poetry material. Uh, and I'm also, um, teaching yoga, um, which has been a really cool thing. So I'm kind of seeing how all of these pieces sort of move together. I originally started taking yoga just as like an anxiety management tool for myself. Um, But really quickly, like I'm not really a person that can just like casually do anything (laughs) at all. (laughs) So like if I'm going to like do yoga, I'm going to like do yoga, right? I'm going to like find a studio and I'm going to be there all the time. And then pretty quickly I was like, oh, I should take a teacher training program. Like I'm just going to like get into it, you know? And so part of it was just that. Um, But also, so so I'll go these places, right? And with my poetry um, or to speak or whatever. And, and I've been doing this for six, seven years now. Um, But I started to notice in the last couple of years, like I mean, if you listen to my poetry, like a lot of it is about like really heavy stuff. A lot of the stuff we've been talking about so far, grief and naming lament and evil and religious trauma and like 
all of these things, right? It's very heavy. Um, and, and I would notice like I would go to these places and, and stand up on stage and like perform my poetry and talk and everybody would cry and be sad. And then I would just like go back to my hotel and have a beer. And like, that was, there was no, like, there was no completion of that emotional cycle. So I started to feel very like responsible for this. Cause I was like, I don't mm. want to go places and just make everybody cry and traumatize them with all of these difficult feelings and then leave. Mm. Um, so I started to do, I started at the end of all my um, performances doing like a Q and a session, but like it's less of a Q and a and more of like a, like a debriefing um, where we sit down and go, okay, like now that we've done all of that, like, what are your feelings? Do you have thoughts? Do you have questions? Do you have things you'd like to talk about more? Like that kind of thing, just so people can like get a little bit of like, like emotional release. Um, and so in that process, I started feeling like, Oh, this would, and as this is as my whole, my own journey is being like, um, totally interrupted by, by yoga. And it's like changing my relationship with my body and it's changing my relationship with my anxiety. So as I'm doing this and I'm traveling, I'm like, this would be so cool if we could also do like some meditation or some mindfulness or even just like some small movement or something after this experience to help us be in the body um, and feel the feelings in the body to take a moment and ask ourselves like, okay, we feel all these feelings. Where are they living in the body right now? Is there a way that we can like mindfully process them? Um, That sort of thing. And and then I was like, well, I want to know what the hell I'm talking about. So, um, so that's when I started teacher training. Um, so, so now I'm in a place where I'm starting to kind of incorporate that, um, when I travel and stuff. So, um, that's been kind of cool, but yeah, to me, so it it all sort of goes together. Um, I think the more that I've, I've gotten into my own yoga practice, the more that I have, um, learned more about trauma and, and, um, sex and all the different kind of things that I research. Um, I'm realizing how, embodiment is so key to understanding these things. Um, and, and if there's one thing that like evangelical fundamentalism does really poorly, it's like bodies. Um, it, I mean, it's neutral about the body at best at worst, it's straight up demonizing. And, and so I think a lot of us who came out of that environment have sort of a dysfunctional relationship with our body. Um, and that can show up in a, in a multitude of ways. Um, but it's a really hard process to learn how to like love and appreciate and be in your body. Um, and when we're talking about feelings, when we're talking about, um, trauma, we're talking about all these things, um, all of that lives in the body. That's real. That's like in your actual body. Um, and so, so for me, I'm kind of in a place where I'm pivoting to like, like, I want to be like the embodiment person. I want to be the person that talks about bodies. That means we're going to talk about religious trauma. That means we're going to talk about sex. That means we're going to talk about, you know, all this stuff. I think it's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to spoken word as an art form, because it's so embodied. It's so you, you use your whole body to like take up space on this stage. It's the only prop you're allowed to have other than the microphone. So you, you use your hands and you make like, it's, it's a very embodied sort of art form. And so, um, yeah, I think that's what I'm really focusing on right now is just um, giving people space to connect with their bodies, um, to find healing, to figure out where their stuff, their trauma, their feelings is living in the body, whether that's through poetry, whether that's through yoga, um, whether that's through, you know, some kind of other, you know, speaking or writing or whatever it is. That, but but I'm very, I'm very concerned about those things. Um, and it's, to me, it's like, this is one of the most important um, works out there right now, especially given there's such a mass exodus of people coming out of evangelicalism and fundamentalism who desperately need to um, be reconnected with their bodies. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it reminds me of a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm. Are you familiar Reading with that? Reading that right now. Reading that oh, right awesome. now. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. And it's just so true. I mean, it's, uh, it's deep. I, I too have experienced uh, the, the bodily trauma from, mm-hmm. from past things that I didn't know were there and I was carrying them. Um, so for you, as you've gone into this work of yoga and, and then teaching yoga and this work of embodied spoken word poetry, how has your own relationship with your body shifted, changed, transformed as you've journeyed into those different? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, 
It is a constant um, journey. It is never over. Um, but I would say, like, I feel, like, so much better about my body right now than I did, like, two years ago. Um, you know, like, I never want to feel like I have arrived or whatever but at the same time like I can look back and be like oh my god I like I feel personally like I've come so far in like learning to like love my body and appreciate it and like um treat it well like understand what it actually needs and deliver it um awareness of the body um that's a huge thing that yoga teaches you is just like awareness I don't think I knew where any of my muscles were before and like now I can like I can like isolate them you know, and it, so just even being aware of your body, um, is so important. I think, um, probably the next horizon, I think, cause I talk a lot about like sex and sexuality, um, and sexual abuse and all this kind of stuff. I think the next horizon is like learning to like believe like, um, sexuality and sensuality about myself. I think people really struggle with that too. There's a lot of people who are like, yeah, I love my body, but I don't think I'm sexy. And I'm like, you put, you should though. Like if you want to, you should, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's a really hard thing, especially with all the purity culture of, of evangelicalism and all that stuff. And I, I do a lot of work around unlearning purity culture and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, I think that's a huge part of unlearning purity culture is learning to be like actively affirming of sexuality and sensuality rather than just like tolerant or accepting, but like celebratory more so. Um, and so, so I think that's probably my next horizon there, but I, but I do feel like I, it has, all of this has really changed the way that I look at my, at my body and understanding, like, I think particularly understanding that like my body is good and like by and large, the things that it wants and needs are good. And like, I don't have to fight with my body <laughs> about stuff, you know? Yeah. Which is different than, you know, crucifying the flesh. Yeah. If you will. Who will deliver uh, me from this body of death? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> mm, yeah. And, and so, you know, it sounds to me like there's a bit of a homecoming in this process of coming home to our embodiment, which is mm -hmm. so important for those of us who are sort of post evangelical or in that place. But I think as a locus for doing theology and ethics and, you know, your work I know is really engaged in social justice mm -hmm. when, when, people who are doing this work in the world come home to their bodies. I think it really is a powerful and transformative gift to offer people. Um, and so as, as somebody who is still engaging in some kind of theopoetics or theology yeah. and social just, a socially just work in the world, how has this locus of the body become, I mean, I, you're clearly passionate about it, but how, how has it become for you um, part of your mission? I mean, Oh yeah. Mission. <laughs> I can I do that word. Use that word. Yeah. yeah well, right. Or like more like my calling. Right. Yeah, I struggle yeah. with all the words. I struggle with all the words. I'm like, I don't even know. And part of me is like, maybe yeah. I just want to save the world because I'm a pastor's kid. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, maybe I don't need to do that. Maybe I don't need to, it, of course, you know. Um, so I'm always like, Oh, I do feel, I do feel like this is my calling, but also like, I don't have to save the world. Um, it's a constant tension. Um, for me, like, I can't genuinely make art about something that I have not experienced, um, you know, and I don't want to be out here telling people, like, here's what you can do, like, if, if I'm not practicing it, you know, right. Right. Um, and yeah, so, so for me, when you have, when you have that, that powerful experience, it's like, you want to share it with people, you want to, you want to, you want other people to be able to have that also, because um, there is this moment of, like, freedom when you realize, like, like, I don't have to live like that anymore. And sometimes you just have to like say that to yourself over and over for a year until you actually believe it. But like, but, but there's this, there's a watershed moment where you're like, don't have to live like that anymore. So now this whole new, like vast expansive horizon is open to me. Um, which is both terrifying and also lovely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how, how has that for you become something that had, or how has that thoroughly been for you something that is spiritual or theological or has to do yeah. with your faith tradition or mm -hmm. how do you relate all of that to religion? Yeah. Um, great question. Um, so 
I struggle with that, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the, the Christian, um, milieu is what formed me, um, like it or not. And the reality is this too, like as much as most days I would love to just like leave it behind. Um, even though I, I like church, um, I go to church sometimes I show up at this little Episcopal congregation in my neighborhood. Um, it's very small and very gay, get drinks with my priest. Um, I feel like that counts. Um, but, uh, totally, but, but I struggle with where I fit personally in it. Like I, I like the community of church. Um, but when you, when you see how the sausage is made, so to speak, um, it becomes harder to eat it. Um, and, and it becomes way easier to, to deconstruct it, you know? Um, and, and so like I, I vacillate back and forth on where I, where I land personally. Um, but I've kind of got to this place where like where I land personally is not really the most important thing in my, in my calling, so to speak. Um, because I'm like, okay, number one, this is what I know how to talk about. I know how to talk about this and I know how to talk about it. Well, um, two, even though I'm free, there's a lot of people who are not free. There are people who are still being made victims every day. And until there's no more victims, then there is still work to do. As much as my personal beliefs may shift over time, up and down, whatever. But like, there's work to do and I know how to do it. And so, so, so some of it has been a process of, for me of like learning to be at peace with my personal beliefs shifting over time and not being um, super pressed about it, I guess. Um, I, like, it doesn't bother me so much to like not know or like be like, hmm, I believed this yesterday, but I really feel very strongly against it today. Like just <laughs> yeah. kind of over time, but I don't really care anymore. Yeah. Because where I personally land is not the most important thing to me. My beliefs will always shift and change over time. Usually by the time I put a poem out for public consumption, I don't even agree with it anymore. Um, I change really quickly. Um, so if I am going to like, if I made decisions about what I would do faith wise based on every time I change my mind about something, I'd be changing like every other day, you know? Um, so I've got to a place where I'm like, my personal beliefs ebb and flow over time. I don't really care. There's work to do. I know how to do it. And so I'm going to keep doing it. Hmm. Um, so I, I imagine I'll always sort of be in those spaces. Um, and I think that I find, I think that I find grace there. Like when I show up in those spaces, um, even if I don't believe all the things. I told the old rector at the church where I go to, um, when we, when we joined, I was like, listen, like, I want to come to your church and like, I want to do things. I want to like volunteer and stuff. I'll give you my, I'll give you my volunteer time, but like, I'm not going to get confirmed and I'm not going to tell you, I believe the things. And he was like, fine. And I was like, cool, we have a deal then. Like, <laughs> I'm like, if I, I'm like, if that's, if that's where we can be, then cool. You know, like I want to show up. Um, yeah. And you know, some of this, some of this relates a lot to, I think, um, my processing over the last, um, six or nine months about, um, all the whole church two conversation, um, which was started by myself and my best friend, Hannah. And, um, and, and since November, we've just had, you know, story after story, thousands at this point. Um, of stories of sexual abuse just pouring out on the hashtag. And some of them are very, um, you know, small churches in the middle of Oklahoma. And some of them are like massive mega churches that everyone knows with celebrity pastors and stuff, you know, and like from, from small churches to huge churches, like it's just, it's a problem everywhere. And so I've been, I've been having a really hard time processing it all too, because I think like, um, you know, it's not specifically a fundamentalist problem as we're all finding out, like it's not just the Catholics and it's not just like 
um, you know, fundamentalists, it's, it's moderate churches. It's even, you know, liberal mainline denominations and, um, it's literally everywhere. And so, so I'm very committed to the idea of like, um, an underlying, uh, divine web that like holds the world together. Um, but I, I don't know about as much as like I have found grace in church when I, when I show up, I don't know about the continuation of the church. I struggle with that. Um, and I don't, I don't know that I am committed to its continuation as much as I am committed to the healing of people. Um, yeah. To my way of thinking, no institution, be that church, be that marriage, be that anything, no institution is more important than the people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am mostly dedicated to the people in it. Um, yeah. And so that's yeah. kind of where I fall. Hmm. And yeah, I was even going to ask you, are there any facets, dimensions, theological ideas that you still are compelled by from, from your, uh, your upbringing? And you mentioned that, that yeah. you still believe in this divine web that sort of yeah. or isn't there, I is definitely, there anything else that you're catalyzed by in that regard? I definitely, I definitely feel um, very strongly about the idea of like an undergirding power. Um, I, I do think I had to, I had to grieve the idea of interventionist God. Um, pretty, pretty like strongly in the last year or two. Yeah. Um, that's a, that was a hard one. Um, most, most beliefs are not very hard for me to let go, but like interventionist God was hard. I think, I don't think I believe in like an interventionist God anymore. Like a God Mm -hmm. that like could intervene in something horrible happening and then chooses not to like that sort of thing, you know? Um, and, and with that comes, um, a whole lot of other things, uh, that you don't believe in anymore. Um, and so that's, that's sort of difficult. Um, but, uh, there's this line, there's this line in, um, the last poem on my, on my album, All Prodigal Daughters and Sons, the poem's called Everything Must Burn. In the, in the poem towards the end, there's this line that says, uh, I can't believe in nothing, no matter how hard I've tried. Um, and that's, that's sort of where I land on some of this stuff. Um, you know, where I'm like, I, like, I'm deeply compelled by the, by the idea of God. Um, uh, there's a lot of, uh, this isn't from my upbringing, but there's a lot in yogic philosophy that I'm deeply compelled by the idea of, um, as well. And so I don't know, I, I've almost got to a place where I'm like that, that roomy poem, um, with the elephant where all the people are standing around the elephant in the dark, touching different parts of it. And they're all describing the part and they're just all arguing with each other about being wrong. And sometimes I feel like that's a little bit like I'm very compelled by the idea of the elephant. Yeah. The elephant in the room. Yeah. Like the (laughs) elephant is real. Yeah. 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 That's the thing. I'm like, I'm compelled by the idea of the elephant. The elephant is real. What's not real is all of us standing around touching one part and pretending like that encompasses the whole or pretending like that makes somebody else's description of where they're touching not real. Um, so, so I don't know. That's, that's, that's probably not a helpful answer, (laughs) but, um, but I'm very compelled by, by the idea of, um, of the elephant. And there are some things too, like, um, I just wrote, do you know the, our Bible app? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wrote a devotional for them like a month or two ago, um, on like strong emotions in the Psalms. And there's a lot of beautiful stuff. I'm very compelled by the idea of like, um, like anger at God. Like, I think that's great. I think that's great that that's in the Bible. Um, that's (laughs) like a, that's like a fabulous part of it. Um, you know, like there's all these like beautiful human spaces in the Psalms, particularly that I really love. And so, I mean, I think there's, there's things that I continue to like carry with me. Um, but again, it kind of just goes back to like my, my personal beliefs, like just kind of waving up and down over time. Hmm. Love that. Yeah. I mean, I think that 
the the illustration that comes to mind is not not necessarily that feeling the elephant, but just having open hands with how mm -hmm. you hold your tradition, how you engage it, and and allowing for not only ideas but you know the um, the products of those ideas to come and go. You know, and yeah, um, I know like for me, beauty has become a really catalyzing impulse, mm -hmm. um, and partly grounded philosophically, but then sort of interwoven into my theological perspective or my tradition and how, where are the places where, um, you know, especially Christianity has had lots of beauty uh, blossom up and where oh, are the, yeah. the places where beauty has been degraded, you know, and like, um, and so, uh, yeah, I think it's important to find some kind of, like the, I thought the image you used of the divine web or some sort of undergirding. Yeah force um is really beautiful too so thank you for sharing that um so then as you i want to maybe revisit some of the, yeah. the stuff we talked about at the beginning here just as you're emerging to this healing space you talked about how there was a grieving space and there were stages yeah you're moving you're moving toward a healing space now how how do you how do you notice your poetry shifting in terms of like the yeah. thematics and and what are you starting to talk about now and and what yeah. what sorts of elements are are com, you know comprising your poems these days Yes um so so one thing that i notice shifting is like i'm not so much interested in like dragging conservative christianity anymore even though like they totally deserve it and I, but i've like i've got an album and a half of that so i think i'm good um so i'm not it's it's less dredging up old stuff um it's and i think to do that would be at this point for me like oh it would be the equivalent of like recycling ex-boyfriends and ex-girlfriends you know what i'm saying like just like <laughs> like bring it back up rather than like moving on to something new i don't need to dredge up all the other stuff anymore yeah. right yeah. Um, so, so I'm, it's, I'm in a space of like, okay, what am I dealing with now? Cause I've talked about what I was dealing with then. So now I'm trying to figure out what I'm dealing with now. So I've been writing about, um, family. I have been writing about mental health. Um, I have been writing about love. I, um, I'm working on a, a, a new poem that, um, is not finished yet, but about the idea that I was talking about, about. Um, not so much being committed to like the church um, living as much as I am committed to the people and it healing and, it, and that means it dies and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, so, so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking towards the future rather than looking towards the past. And I think that's the shift that has taken place um, is wow. understanding like, okay, there is a future and how am I going to make it a good one? Um, and how am I going to use the gifts that I have to make it a good one? Um, and, and, and that's not to say that there's not, you know, stuff to process and more trauma and, you know, cause there's always more trauma as you just like live your life. Unfortunately, trauma doesn't stop when you leave evangelicalism. Um, very true. Yeah. Um, so there's always more trauma and stuff. And so, so some of it's about that, but, um, but it's an eye towards the future now, I think in a really interesting way. Um, and, and I have really. I have really appreciated um, seeing that part of myself. That's powerful. I yeah. mean, I think so often our lives just get consumed with this this sort of looking back and yeah. and rehashing uh, the past. And mm -hmm. to have an orientation in the world that is is postured toward the future and, and an openness toward the new. And mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do process philosophy and theology. So yeah, yeah. the possibility, you know, that is present Key. every moment of becoming yeah yeah it's so wonderful so then i'm curious about your own sort of poetic methodology like as you yeah. as oh. you make art yeah for you do you find the that there is primacy in sort of the poetic or artistic dimension of of your work that is just inspiring in and of itself or is there some kind of theological or spiritual inspiration that you bring that has a primacy or is there some sort of confluence or I'm just curious how you yeah. relate. Like for some, some of the questions we've been getting are people are wondering about how do theological ideas inspire the art and then yeah. how does 
art and like reinterpret or re-inspire the theology. You know what I mean? Yes. So I'm curious about that oh. relationship for you. Yes. Um, so it depends on the poem. Um, sometimes, sometimes it's just like this thing happened like in real life and I just went home and wrote a poem about it. Right. Um, so sometimes it's just more pragmatic, but, um, sometimes like, okay, like for example, um, that poem that I was telling you about that I'm writing, um, about like the church and stuff as a result of like all the church two stuff. Um, I, I decided I needed to write it cause I read this blog post, um, that was, talking about all this stuff and this, this phrase stuck in my head, um, where this guy, he was talking about how theologians need to be stewards of healthy dying, um, in this age. Um, and that, that idea just like haunted me. Um, and I've been thinking about it for like two full weeks, um, just like mulling it over in my brain. And so that's, that's part of like that poem, I was like, oh, I need to write, that's a poem right there. There's a poem in there somewhere. And so, because, because that, that's a very, <laughs> that's a very theological idea. Um, yeah. and, um, and so I think in some ways, like there'll be a, like a theological idea, so to speak, that, that, that like captures me. And then I just have to like mull on it for a while. And sometimes that's like a couple days and sometimes that's like six months. Um, it takes a while. Sometimes I just, it has to marinate. Um, but, uh, but so sometimes it's that, but then I, I like the other, the other direction too, because I think the other direction is what people don't want to talk about. Like people, all, people are very comfortable with the idea of theology inspiring art, but they're less comfortable with the idea of art changing or reinterpreting our theology. Um, but that to me is like the most important part. Um, because that is why our, why poetry is so powerful. Number one. And number two, I think you, you miss the cycle if it only goes one way. Um, if, if your theology only inspires your art, then you get God's not dead and God's not dead two and God's not dead three featuring the newsboys. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's why, if that's why that, that is a, that is an example of one direction theology inspiring art and not art informing theology. Right. You get caught in that single loop and then you get bad theology and bad art. Um, I have seen those movies because I have a problem. Um, but, um, but so, uh, so it's that piece that that feedback into theology that that fascinates me most, um, and I think it it probably um, in some ways I think people pretend it doesn't happen when it's like a little unavoidable, um, like like people want to believe that their theology happens in a vacuum, um, and then they take it out of this vacuum pristine and bring it to the to the to the the easel so to speak um and here's this pristine theology that's gonna blossom into this artwork or whatever right but it's like okay but the art that we make and consume changes how we think about our theology and i would even say that especially i can see that working in real time just when i look back at my my last album or whenever i do any of those poems still like um, the, those poems, writing and performing those poems have changed the way I think about those ideas. And I know that because it feels different now than it did when I first started. When I first started doing those poems publicly, it felt, it felt more raw. It felt like, okay, here's how I actually feel. And this is, but now I'm like, I'm like self-critiquing myself in those poems. I, I will regularly change words and phrases when I'm on stage. I'll be like in the middle of a poem and I'll be like, doing this poem has changed how I feel about this thing. I don't want to say that word anymore. I'm going to switch to this word or switch this phrase. Like I'll change it in real time in the 2.5 seconds before I say it out loud. Um, because that feedback loop has caused me to think differently about those ideas, the process of writing it, the process of performing it, sharing it, hearing people's feedback. And that, I mean, that's the, the audience piece is huge of that too. Like it's not just me interacting with my work. It's getting audience feedback. It's sitting down with people and talking to them and saying like, what did this mean to you? Cause anybody that makes art knows that like people come up to them all the time and say your poem about X, Y, Z, when you said this, that, and the other meant so much to me. And I was like, that's not at all what I meant, but like, but like, that's the kind of the beauty of art is like, 
I didn't mean that, but you got something great out of it anyway, even though I had not a clue about that in my head. So I think the audience piece is a piece that's really missing there too. Um, I love, that's why I so much love like the debriefing Q and a, cause I'm like, I want to know what you're thinking about this. I don't care what I just had to say. I want to know what you have to say. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, I, I like the other direction back. I don't know. That's kind of a long answer, but I think that, I think that piece is very important, um, to understand that like, um, whether you like it or not, the art that you consume and create will alter the way that you think theologically. And if you pretend it doesn't or try to stop that process, you will make a movie called God's Not Dead. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a great illustration. <laughs> all too real illustration. <laughs> um, so is there a way that you name to yourself as an artist that switching? I mean, like, the whole aesthetic, you know, dimension having primacy over maybe the, the theological informing of, of the task. Like, is there, is there some, some way that you say yes to that and you name that to yourself or, or how do you, how do you feel that through or think that through? I don't know that like anymore it's conscious. I think, I think um, mm. maybe a few years ago, I was a little bit more pressed about like theological correctness mm. in my work. Um, but I think that's kind of just a process that I had to like unlearn of like, okay, like you should just put down on the paper what you feel and not what you think is the correct theology. Um, yeah. And like, that's okay. <laughs> and trusting your feelings. Yeah, mm -hmm, yeah. exactly. Um, and so, yeah, putting, putting down on paper what I think and feel rather than what I think is the correct theology uh, was probably like one of the best decisions that I ever made. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, so yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of it is that it's just giving, giving yourself like permission. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that's so beautiful because I just want to connect a few dots from our conversation. So yeah. far. like we talked about embodiment and how it's important to come home to our bodies as a, as a location for living and even our spiritual lives, you know, and then there's this dimension of art making where we're talking about how the poetic or the aesthetic almost takes primacy over some sort of theological proposition mm -hmm. you know, that we're trying to communicate. And, and then I think that they're, they're connected, you know, there's a beauty in, um, I, I think the fruition or the fruit of embodiment is, is saying yes to your feelings and saying mm -hmm. yes to actually how you really feel and how you really think about, uh, something like a theological idea. And that, yeah. that, when we place, you know, that emphasis on our true emotions and our true selves trying to be communicated through whatever medium we, we do, I just think what a beautiful switch, you know, uh, what an opportunity for people to be empowered, not to be told their truth, but to tell their own. Yeah. Um, and then we get, we get exposed to this like wonderful tapestry that is a multiplicity of difference mm -hmm. that then we start to see that the fullness of what we might call that divine web or God yeah. is only in expressed when people wake up to their embodiment and their true feelings. And you know, that's such a, yeah. I, I mean, I just thank you for, you know, <laughs> leading us to, to that place. I, I just think that yeah. that's a wonderful gift to give the world. So I love that. Um, you know, I want to, before we end here, I wanted to mention a couple of things. One is I've heard you talk about church too, mm -hmm. um, a little bit. Do you want to mention anything else about that on the podcast or maybe even mention what, what has been the, the biggest sort of standout thing that you've been learning through, um, facilitating that hashtag? Oh man. Um, I would say the biggest thing that, well, one of the biggest things that I have learned from facilitating, um, the church to hashtag is just like the utter um, tenacity and bravery and resilience of people who have gone through this stuff. I mean, the solidarity in that community is unbelievable. Um, there are people who have connected, you know, across um, all, all different kind of lines just through this hashtag who have found solidarity because they had a similar story and all this kind of stuff. And I think um, like, everybody is kind of a badass. Like we're actually getting stuff done and it's, it's, it's very, um, I don't know. It's just, it's very encouraging. Um, not that, not that any of this stuff exists. Like I wish it didn't have to, but like, but like 
we're getting results. Yeah. Like it for the, it feels like for the first time in a long time, like maybe the sun is setting on the day where like people abusers would just get a little slap on the wrist and nothing would happen. Right. People are getting fired. People are losing book deals. People are getting conferences canceled. Like actual stuff is happening. Stuff that has like real life, practical and financial um, consequences. Right. And, and it feels like, it feels like, whoa, like we're getting like, a little modicum of justice, like stuff is happening. And it's all because everybody is like banding together and like supporting each other and amplifying stories and helping to get the word out and supporting their friends. And it's just, everybody is just so resilient. And I think it's, it's very encouraging to me. Yeah, me too. That's wonderful. Um, and I, I can tell just from listening to you that you're really passionate about this, this journey that you've, you've made, even out of sort of evangelical fundamentalism to, to now being on a continual journey mm -hmm. of growth and expansion. But if you had to offer up a couple of thoughts or any advice that you would want to oh. share for somebody who is just embarking on you know, encountering their, their religious baggage and then wanting to yeah. do it, like how would you encourage somebody? How would you speak to somebody uh, oh man. Um, number one, you don't have to live like this. Uh, number two, hold your stuff loosely. Um, number three, you might lose things and people, but you will find new things and new people and the people that matter and are worth it will stick with you. Yes. yes. That's all that I have to say. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's not are. a fun, it's not a fun journey. You will get to the bottom right. of the slippery slope. It is a slippery slope. You will get to the <laughs> bottom. You will find out there is beer. It's a party. You can be yeah. yourself. Yeah. Come maybe, join us. Maybe you even backslide down that slippery slope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, wonderful. So, I mean, as we close here, where, where can we keep up with what you're doing? Anything new coming down the pipe? Like how can we stay in touch yes. with the listeners find you? Um, so I'm Emily Joy Poetry on all the things. That's Facebook. That's Twitter. That's Instagram. Um, if you're in Nashville, I post my um, yoga schedule. You can come and practice yoga with me. Um, otherwise, EmilyJoyPoetry.com. I have all of my writings and recordings there. Um, I'll be putting new stuff there when I put it out. Um, I'm also available to come to your thing, to your church, to your school, whatever you do. Um, and yeah, I would love to just be connected and hear your thoughts. Awesome. Well, thanks again for taking the time out of your day to, to talk with us and to share your heart and your artistic sensibility. And um, thanks for encouraging us to, to come home to our bodies and our feelings mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. So yeah, totally. Okay. Well, let's definitely Appreciate talk soon. It. Sounds good. Thanks, Emily. Joy. All right. Bye. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Theopoetics podcast. You can find out more about Emily Joy's work by heading to emilyjoypoetry.com. And if you like what you heard here, you can log on to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or any other podcast platform and subscribe and leave us a rating. You can also keep up with us on social media at at TheopoeticsCast or tweet at me at at TDBurnett. Also, don't forget to check out our sponsor's ARC at artsreligionculture.org. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Burnett. Love wisdom, create beauty, and make peace, everyone.